So many people will recognize that you are not Rada. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yeah. yourself? Sure. So my name is Jacqueline Perone, and I'm a designer here at ThoughtBot, New York City. I started out as in front-end development through UX design, some visual design. I'm also an artist, illustrator, fine artist, all those things. Don't you also play guitar too? Yeah, I play bass in a couple bands. Been doing that for a few years. Yeah, I've been doing Jack, Jackie, Jackie of all. Oh God, I'm not even gonna like continue that joke. <laughs> Use your imagination for the end of that. But yeah, I started working at ThoughtPot about last Halloween, so a little over about a year and a half. What have you been working on recently, or, or what's on your mind? Oh well, we've had some really interesting projects the past few months. A couple of which involved testing whether or not a website's content would be a good product. The really difficult thing about that is, you know, we have this desire as, you know, in the agile community to just, just get it out there, just get it out there, just get it out there and just start getting feedback. And the problem is like, you don't necessarily, you know, getting something out there with just six pieces of content when the overall idea is there's going to be an insane amount. It's kind of the people who come to the site, they see six things. They're like, this is really lame. I'm not, this is, I'm done. So how do you gauge whether or not a product will be successful if it's based on, especially content that's user generated, which is, this wasn't the case for our site, but that's even, I mean, that's even harder. Oh my God. Did you have a way that you decided to tackle it? Yeah, we actually, we put as much content as we could on the site and the actual act of putting the content up there was pretty labor intensive. So it was even, even that was kind of like, oh man, is this even worth it? Like this takes about three hours to make one, like one video, like one thing. So we did as much, as much as we could. And then we had something towards the end of the site that was like, are you, do you see something that, that's missing? You know, click on this link. And we had a, like a survey for them to tell us what topics they wanted to see. And we also, you know, because the site had a lot of different topics, but because we only had like a limited amount of content, we decided to dive into one topic really well and then market to and show to people who are interested in that one thing. So I guess, I mean, it is just kind of like a, it fits a lot of problems, I guess. But yeah, we, we decided to do that and just go into one full blown and see how that worked and just promise the users that there'll be more to come. But still, it seems so satisfying, you know? Have you dealt with something like that yeah, before? Yeah, I, I have. And it's funny how each case is a little bit different. Yeah. So the one that comes to mind for me was we were building basically an internal developer network. And their thought was that people would be posting these long essays on mm. development and their findings within you know, within the company that it was company specific, it couldn't go on to something like Stack Overflow, which is what, what they were comparing it to. And there was like this investigation of like, would people actually use this as a tool? Would they be posting these long form essays or like asking questions would be like other developers, if they are questions, be writing long form answers to those questions. And it was very tricky to start off. I think the way that we tackled it there and the way that I think other online communities I feel like have tackled this is starting off with like more of a passionate crowd. So there we were, it was an internal tool. So we were able to like highlight a couple developers that 
really wanted the team there to grow, to succeed, to get better and kind of pinpointed them as like the early adopters and just let them play around with it and Mm -hmm. build up content, build up questions, build up answers, and then slowly bring on more people. And I know that's the way Dribbble kind of started. I think they didn't do it intentionally, but they started off with like an invite only kind of network. I think it still is. And just slowly building up the amount of people that are using it over time, as opposed to just jumping in and being like, everyone can use it. And really focusing in on those core set, those early adopters and being like, hey, we know that this is going to be really rough really early on. There's wow. there's going to be empty, a lot of empty places that you're going to see and be like, there's nothing here. But <laughs> them understanding that is good and, and them being passionate enough to like say, okay, you know, I'm going to help fill this out. That was, I think, the most successful way I've done that. I think just designing without like any kind of data or information and not really totally understanding how people are going to use like a brand new app is really, it's really hard thing to design around, right? Oh my God, I know. (laughs) Especially when you're trying to solve for like a behavior change. Like, I mean, when you're calling for a behavior change, we try to steer problem statements away from, you know, we're not even steer them away, but really try and, and focus in on, so when would someone want to use your product? Like, what is that moment when they need an answer to something and then they go to your product for guidance. And it's interesting because I just had a conversation with a client just yesterday where they're like, we don't necessarily want to focus on the when because they're saying that we have an audience, but it's really, you know what? <laughs> I've been sitting in like a brain bath for the past week of just thinking a lot about some really heady, just heady stuff that we're trying to go through with behaviors and It's so funny because (laughs) I feel like sometimes here, I really like to get into the highly conceptual kind of the scientific part to it. And then sometimes clients come in and they're not used to talking in this kind of stream of consciousness way. Then I feel like, oh, I'm being one of those, I'm being one of those capital D designers who's talking about, you know, the milkshake straw, you know, in jobs to be done, that, that story. When they're trying to sell more milkshakes and they made the straw smaller and people sat with the milkshake longer and they got more and the whole thing. So, I don't know. Is this any? Yeah, this I totally resonate with that. Like, I've been on <laughs> a couple sales calls and I've mm. been like, oh, yeah, we use jobs to be done. It's this framework. Mm-hmm. And I've come to the like realization that I just naming it jobs, it's just saying jobs to be done. And that, like, instead of just talking through the thought process of what it is Mm -hmm. makes it seem so much more i would think like i haven't tried this out because i realized at the last sales call like i am being so like terminology and like spitting out oh we would do a design sprint for that and saying all (laughs) these like oh diverge converge Uh, and and it just it just sounds it comes off as like what you said like this design speak and oh yeah i think I need to reframe talking to people who aren't designers, reframe how I talk about thinking about jobs to be done in particular, but also like the design sprint and how we talk about design sprints. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we've made up words for th- these <laughs> these processes <laughs> that we have, and those words don't mean anything to anyone else until you talk about like the thought process that goes through it. Like the design sprint process is is really great. It's about validating your idea really quickly, and they've come up with this language around it that is just it means nothing to people that haven't already dove into that world. Oh my god, yeah. But that's also like every kind of slice of industry has that. And and that's one of my favorite things about doing consulting work is that I get to learn the language of every single, like right now I'm doing an app for restaurant groups and and learning the language around restaurants and restaurant groups and and stuff like that is really interesting to me Mm. how we've kind of evolved to take words that might mean one thing and turn them into something totally different. Yeah. (laughs) I love diving into different areas of businesses. For a couple of projects, and even my my past job before ThoughtBot, I was working with scientists, just people who were heavily engaged in the medical community. And those interviews that I was having were, they're really exhausting because I would ask a simple question you know, tell me about your day, stuff like that. And it would they would answer, they'd be like, oh, no one's ever really asked me that before. Let me think about this. And then they would go off on this med speak for 20 minutes. And then I'd let them talk, let them talk. And afterwards, I would say, that was great. Now, can you pretend that I'm five <laughs> years old? <laughs> and tell me one more time. <laughs> but it was it was only when after a few interviews... I was able to, in my head, complete their sentences because I would hear very similar things. And that was when you're like, oh, okay, I I think I'm starting to understand this field. Yeah. And even with clients, I feel like it's a skill to think I'm getting better at this. And I'm, I'm sure you have your own experience with this where, you know, the client comes in, prospective client. And they express their their needs, and it's easy for us to to dive into design speak and just kind of and just praise our process because it's so we've seen it work and it's so exciting. But then there are times when I'm like, oh wait, what they really want is they want to make sure they have more users on their site, or they want to make sure that this redesign goes really well, and they don't necessarily want to hear about converging and diverging <laughs> in the first five minutes. They want to just make sure you get you get them, you know? Right. It's definitely a skill to learn and <laughs> keep learning. It mm. is. Going back, though, the first thing that you talked about was interesting because I felt like, from my perspective, jobs interviews have helped me solve that of like, how do you get people's attention to something or how do you drive them from a thing they're currently doing to what you hope is the easier, better version of that that thing? Mm. I feel like jobs to be done is a good framework of of thinking about that. Like for that developer network, you know, we talk to those initial users and we're like, okay, how do you currently go about sharing information throughout the company that you can't share online? And so trying to understand what they're currently doing and how to replace it and make it better, I feel like is how hopefully you get to that next stage of of Mm -hmm. pulling them to your solution. And in this case, they were using IM and chat, and it was a one-to-one thing where we were like, okay, this information that you have in your brain is going from one person to another, and it's only happening when someone's asking a question, right? Like, So how Mm -hmm. do we get this to be a one-to-many relationship where we're spreading institutional knowledge throughout many developers? Mm. So taking their existing behavior of just IMing each other 
and trying to transfer that into a new app. Yeah, I love oh, I love it when it's cut and dry <laughs> and there's a behavior that's existing and we want to make it better. That is just so I'm like, yes, okay, this is good. This is I could see this path for the next couple of weeks. Like this makes sense. Like we'll do this, do this. For the past few projects I've had, it's not as cut and dry. The problem is around a human emotion. It's around anxiety. That is really hard. The problem is I feel anxious about this. So, you know, trying to reframe that and pull apart where is that coming from? Like, it's pretty much just like a person. It's like, <laughs> I have a problem with, hi, our users are just our people and not business and not, they're not developers in a site and a company. And it's really hard. My head, again, <laughs> I've been in a vat. I've been in a vat for like two weeks. I know it's so funny because, you know, this is my first podcast talking to you and I don't know how much I can say. So I'm just being very elusive. <laughs> Hopefully it all makes sense later on. It's made sense to me so far. Good, excellent. I, I, I don't know what project you're talking about. <laughs> Good. Well, have you have you experienced that before where someone came in and the promise statement is around, I feel anxious when this happens. So the possible hopeful solution is to solve and like quell that anxiety. Yeah, that's usually the way that I try to approach a problem statement. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been trying and I need to write a blog post about this. Instead of talking about just a set problem, talking about mm. the pain points around that problem, what are the anxieties mm -hmm. like you're talking about? Like what what is the nervous energy? But what also is the desired outcome? Like how do we get rid of that nervous energy? How do we get rid of the pain? Mm. And no matter what, you have to be replacing something because people only have a set amount of time in their day. So from that standpoint, there are like no new jobs. Mm. So you, no matter what, you're you're replacing something in their life if you're successful in pulling them into your your product. So like, what is it that you are replacing? What are you taking time and attention away from for your product? And what are their anxieties coming in? And what are the pain points coming in? And then, you know, once they're done, thinking about like what is the desired outcome? What what do they hope to achieve? Like I think Alan Clement keeps on saying like, how is their life better? once they're finished. So like mm. looking at it that way of pain points, anxieties, and then at the end, how is your life better? Uh, what is your desired outcome? I like how is your life better just because there's less wordiness around that, right? Mm, yeah. So thinking about like how they've achieved whatever it is they hope to achieve, how they feel really good about themselves. That, what's beautiful, Kyle. <laughs> Like, it's funny because sometimes when the client can, can hear that in the beginning of the project, some feel a little confused, but they totally get it. That's what I mean by when we go off and start talking about it that way. Because the psychological part of like products, that is so fascinating. And it's fun to have clients come in and, and be part of that world with us. And I think the benefit of consulting you know, in this space is being able to change how they view products in that world and how their products can make a difference in this person's life. Yeah. And at the beginning of the design sprint, I do ask, you know, everyone in the design sprint what they're hoping to get out of it, because mm -hmm. hopefully everyone's aligned on that. But if they're not, you want to kind of like address what the concerns are 
and the anxieties about the design sprint before you start the design sprint and ask them, you know, at the end, like, how is their life going to be better? Because as much as we are designing an app for them, we're also designing a process for them too. So mm-hmm. taking the same thought process into their app as we do the process is, you know, that's how I've hopefully had happy clients at the end is like, what are your expectations? What are your anxieties? What are your fears before we get into doing any of this? Like, what's your expectation? And then once we're done, like we we do regular retrospectives anyway, but doing a retrospective, being able to look back and talk about those anxieties. And there's always going to be peaks and valleys with that, especially around like diverge day anxieties kind of go up. And then after converge and prototype, they like certainly are a lot more happier because they can start to see more concretely what their app is going to look like, what their app is going to be and what the flow is. Yeah. Expectations are so important. And like the more projects that I've been on, the more I've seen, it's so important to keep checking in and making sure that everything is going well. And I really appreciate those weekly retros that we do and talk about those things. And, you know, just you remind me for the design sprint, have you been in one where the problem statement and should we talk about what a design sprint is or are we that's we're good on that? Hopefully we're good. I mean, <laughs> okay. I, I can if people don't <laughs> I, know I don't what a design alienate. sprint is, me and Rita have kind of covered it. Me and Don talked about a design sprint we did a few weeks ago that was a remote design sprint. So hopefully if they're a listener. Okay, cool. I can I can link to our other design sprint stuff. Okay, yeah. It's just basically like our project kickoff. And everyone gets in a room and ideates talks about what they want to do and accomplish and we build something, test it, and then start the project. Have you ever had a design sprint where the problem that we're trying to solve was actually invalidated through the prototyping phase and testing phase? Yeah, I I have. Yeah, I tell clients that are a little worried going into the design sprint that that is still success. Like I would rather them find out a week into a project that they're trying to solve the wrong problem than go into a three month engagement and then build something and launch it and then figure out that they're not solving a problem. Mm-hmm. It's happened to me a couple times. You know, one client decided, hey, we're just not going to build an app, which was unfortunate. They were really great people, but it is what it is. Like there was no problem for them to solve and they didn't want to try and dive into any ancillary problems that people might have. There's been design sprints that I've done where the initial, what I would say, like the prime problem that they wanted to solve was invalidated. And then we kind of come into another design sprint and say, well, we did these user interviews. We know that this isn't a problem, but we did find out through talking to these five people that they have these three other problems. And so starting from that standpoint and trying to decide, well, okay, should we talk to more people then to make sure that we're like, this is a concrete problem. So there's been one case where we went out of those interviews and said, okay, well, we're thinking that this is going to be more of the problem we're going to solve. And instead of diverging, converging, and prototyping again, we quickly just come up with, like, these are the assumptions that we have about the problem. Let's test the problem quickly. Mm -hmm. But I've also kind of gone in and done the whole design sprint thing again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no one size fits all for that. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> even for the design sprint, like we have this ideal process of the, like you start with understand, you go to diverge, you go to converge, you prototype, and then you test. And I feel like a lot of the time that that isn't a reality, like we'll go from understand to diverge to maybe doing user interviews to convert. Like, I feel like it's all of design isn't linear. And if it is like you're over designing your process. Yeah. So like there should be a ton of flexibility in the design sprint or kickoff or however we want to call them to tailor it to that specific client, that specific need or that, you know, whatever problem you're trying to solve. Yeah. I was feeling it really the most recent sprint where it was so helpful to have that time together. There was so much research to go through. And I was thinking about an alternate universe where we would have just started the project without doing any of that, without doing any of those exercises, without sharing ideas. You know, I love the Diverge Day where I just love telling everyone, just you know, any idea goes. If you want to draw out an idea for a weird plane to fly across and <laughs> drop apps at people's homes, that's great. <laughs> but tomorrow, none of that, please. <laughs> <laughs> Serious stuff tomorrow. But yeah, it's so valuable to be able to, to sit. I think that it alleviates a lot of nerves to start a project like this. You know, a lot of times people come in and, and these are their brain children, and there can be a sense of pride, too, if how you have an idea for a startup and it's just you and, okay, well, here's my idea. I hope it's good. And let's test it this week. And hopefully it, it passes. And if it doesn't, let's think of it again. Like, it can be a very, I don't know, if it doesn't work out, there's other ways, like like what you were saying, to reframe it. And, well, we did talk to people and we found out other things. You know, I, I love in interviews, keeping them so open-ended sometimes, especially when the problem area is kind of fuzzy and being able to just ask and just go down any road they kind of start talking about. And then all of a sudden you end up somewhere else where you had no idea or intended to be. And you're like, oh man, no, we have to be <laughs> focusing on this other thing. Everyone else is talking about, I, don't, I, have, no, I have no example. My first thing that popped in my head was, Movie theater popcorn? I'm like, ooh, I'm like, think of an example involving that. And then I'm like, that doesn't, nope. All right, forget it. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Now I'm just hungry. I know, I'm trying <laughs> to be concrete with examples. But yeah, I mean, I've just been kind of, again, just thinking a lot, especially the past, I mean, not only a couple of weeks, but the past month has been a lot of ideation and it's been good. It's good. Do you have anything coming up? Project-wise, like any sprints coming up that you, or are you on a long-term thing right now? I'm on a project that will be long-term, but I'm going to be off of it soon. Okay. So we had two designers on the project, which which is always nice to kick off projects with two designers. But the app itself, there's it's very dev-heavy. So oh, yeah. I'll be rotating off and we'll be rotating a developer on soon. Cool. Um, we're hoping to do a little you know, graphic research before I get off because, like I said, we're doing restaurants. And so the idea is that we'd go into the restaurant and see it's already existing software. So we get to see how they're currently using it, which is would be really cool to do. 
before I get off the project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love, oh, man, I had a project like that a couple of years ago. And it was the same thing, you know, existing technology, and we wanted to revamp it. And you look at the existing technology, and it was the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> just like buttons. And I mean, it was it was made in like 1990, just 1990, I think. <laughs> and, you know, by, by developers. And, you know, it worked. It did all the things it needed to do. But it was very hard to look at and kind of as an outsider, like, what is that button do that has like a weird tree on it? And they're like, oh, that means, you know, uh, print. Like, oh, fascinating. (laughs) And it's really funny to watch people use it because they were the users of this, you know, they were so fast at it. So it's funny coming into it and the people being like, this is slowing people down. And sure, it was really hard for people to learn it. But once everyone was on board and they've been using it for a year or two, oh my God, they're lightning fast at that. And like a really fun exercise that we did to have the most important features of this existing software to to rise to the top, we gave the reps just blank pieces of paper, pretty much, and some some cutout menu items or, you know, like button, like fake, like buttons with no text in it that they can write in. And we were just like, okay, think of when you log into the the current system, can you draw what that looks like from memory? And then they would just automatically, you would get the most important stuff right off the top that they would just remember. And then you start to see those flows just kind of fall out of these drawings. And you're just like, oh man, this is a really good place to start. That is really cool. Yeah, it was really effective for sure. How do you design around that kind of thing where people have this ingrained knowledge of like what to do, but yet you're tasked with making it better. (laughs) Oh, it was, you know, it turned out to be really successful in the end. We had a really tight relationship with people using it who were overseas. So we had these Skype calls, you know, it was three o'clock the afternoon for us. And it was just the next day in the morning for them, you know, and, and we, they were just so excited for these, these improvements. And, what we ended up doing is we were just, we had a very close relationship with them, the people who were actually using the tool. So the first thing we did was the most, because it was a customer service lookup. So the most basic thing that everyone complained about was the system itself is really, it's really slow when you're actually searching for someone's name when they call. So you have the person on the phone and you're just like, they're on hold, you're trying to look them up. So the first thing we did was let's just streamline them looking up someone. So it was just basically, that was it. Type in their name. And it was kind of like a Google, you know, it's autocomplete, which was definitely not a thing in the original. <laughs> and we just did that to start. And we introduced, it was, it was funny because at that point when we gave them this new tool, this, this lookup tool, they had three tools at that point to use. And we had this nervousness in the beginning and it was hard to, to tell the client, like, it'd be okay. But the idea of, they have three tools now, maybe even four to use. Like, this is going to be crazy. But eventually, we were able to cut them down to two, I think, if I remember correctly. And that was it. We just had a really close-knit relationship with the users. And we would ask them at the, every call, like, what do you want to see next? What's the most important thing? And then they would they would tell us. And then if enough people said it, we would just go and do that thing next. So they really helped prioritize everything. It was really awesome. It felt great. I love doing things for like internal teams that 
mm-hmm. <laughs> while they have to use the software you design and build, like they'll have really good opinions about how to design for it. They'll have these workarounds that they're already using and you can kind of help them out. But also you have these dedicated user groups that you can go back to and be like, hey, I designed this thing. <laughs> what do you think of it kind of thing? And see them use that compared to what they have been and either have like a light bulb go off of like, oh my God, this is so much easier. Or like this is me two hours of time versus, you know, oh, that is really confusing or, or like this is going in the wrong direction. You get that really quick feedback, which is awesome. Oh, yeah, it was great. And it was so funny in the beginning, too. They would be very nice about things and very polite and just praise, praise, praise. And then finally, after a couple of months, I was like, come on, just tell me what you really think about it, you know? And then they would really start to to get down on the colors of the things, you know? And like, this button looks crazy. And like, <laughs> okay, thank you. Excellent. Why, 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 why? So it was, it was really fun to see them open up towards the end and really give some really good, some really good feedback. I think the most, <laughs> the funniest moment ever was, because, you know, they have to do a lot of copying and pasting between this database tool and they paste it into this notepad, which then goes into an email, which is sent over to someone else. So just the the idea of being able to make copying and pasting better for them. Like, how could we, oh, we'll just do a click to copy. It took about a day to implement. And we pushed it up and, the, you know, we had our testing session. And I remember being like, okay, do you see this little icon, blah, blah, blah. What, like, what happens when you click on it or... And they did. And then everyone just cheered because they're like, oh, my God, does this really work? I'm like, yeah, it does. And they're like, oh, my. It was like you saved a, <laughs> saved a civilization. You know, I just we saved Carpal Tunnel. It just went down now, I think. The, the trend is, is going down. And just like no more highlighting and copying and pasting. <laughs> they're so happy about that. It was really adorable. It was great. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good note to end on. Sure. That Thank you good. for joining me. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. This is really fun. Where can people find out more about you? Do you have a Twitter, a Medium, or whatever? They want to get in touch or, or follow you? What's the best way? Sure. Well, I have a website. It's, it's my name, JacquelinePerone.com. I'm sure it will be spelled in the in the description. But that's where all my art is. There's a sketch blog there as well. And contact is there, too. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So people can get the show notes for this at tentative.fm slash 33. You can tweet at us at tentative.fm. You can email us at host at tentative.fm. I think that's about it. Cool. Awesome. This is great. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was great. <laughs>